0: Hey, what's up, everyone? Ben Standing here. We've got another Locked on Wizards podcast. I've already recorded the podcast. I'm going to get that to you in just a second. A fun one today. I was at at Wizards practice, and there were a lot of people there, and including those people, uh, Jeff Zilgit, national uh, NBA writer for USA Today. So I was able to uh, commandeer him for a few minutes, along with uh, our pal Todd Dibas from The Washington Times. And we got into a whole bunch of topics from basically – you know, the Wizards just keep winning. have got Jeff's perspective. He's somebody who's at a lot of home games. He's based in the D.C. area. But nonetheless, he's covering the league broadly. So wanted to get his take on the Wizards, where he thought the Wizards were in the East. Or, or, or We talked a bit about, um, you know, have we reached a point with the Wizards where they almost have to make a move not to be competitive, but to, you know, to, to really take it to the next level now that they've already moved up so much in the standings. I also got Jeff Take's, Jeff's take on a few other things, including uh, the NBA trading deadline and um, Scott Brooks and John Wall, and uh, a, really, a really fun one. I, I enjoyed it. So I'll get into that here in just a second. Of course, as always, if you want to hear any of our podcasts, go find us on iTunes. Please subscribe. It's a great way to – that way you're not going to miss anything. Uh, also helps us, I think, because then you guys automatically are getting it and helps our numbers. Uh, same thing. If you do, uh, you can go to Audio Boom, get there, or really anywhere you do your podcasting, it would be, uh, it would work out for for you to get the podcast. And if, you can also find us on Twitter at Locked On Wizards, at Ben Standing. If you follow those things, you'll see all the links when we put them out. And I should mention, if you want to follow Jeff on Twitter, though you probably already do if you're listening to this podcast, he is at Jeff Zilgit. That's two L's and two T's. He is, again is the national. A writer for USA Today, really, really nice guy. He's always great to talk to, uh, and and he, I talked to him several weeks back, um, touching base with him and and uh, on a few things. And he said he'd be happy to come on the podcast, and we were able to make it work out uh, today. Uh, I'll also, of course, Todd at Todd underscore divis. And uh, before we get to the podcast, just a couple quick things about the actual practice today. Some good news for the Wizards on the injury front. Daniel House, we saw him uh, in the open part of practice uh, today. He's been out, obviously, for weeks with a wrist injury. Coach Scott Brooks said that Daniel House participated in practice, still not full contact, but there's a good chance that's going to happen by the end of the week. Uh, so that's a good sign for the young, promising rookie. We also saw Jan Mahimi at practice, but he really was a sort of hanging around, um, had a bandage on his, on his uh, on his knee. Um, but you know he was still around. Like if you want to say on some level that's progress, maybe we don't always, uh, not always around there at practice. But we'll we'll get a, an evaluation from him presumably sometime this week as well. So so that's that. Here we go. The Washington Wizards NBA talk. Lots of good stuff. Jeff Zilgit, myself, Todd Davis. Here we go. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast. Your what do I say? Your daily conversation about the Washington Wizards. We're doing that again today from the Verizon Center. Wizards held practice today on Monday. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, the regular media was here, but it was definitely a bigger contingent of folks out here today to check out. The, the, I guess the hottest team in the NBA, and that's just it's yeah crazy to say. I know. Uh, national writers, uh, more TV cameras, and one of the people here. He's here regularly for games, but practices. Uh, is is a different deal. Jeff Zilgit from USA Today. He's kind enough to hang out with us here for a minute. Give us his thoughts on... The team, uh, Jeff, is it almost on some level annoying because the, the Wizards are now becoming more relevant? You actually have to now show up here on a, on these off days. You're like, hey, i got other things to do. now. I actually have to physically, because you actually live in the area, you have, you, actually, the you, you have to physically now deal with the Wizards?
2: No, I actually like it because uh, it's better than coming to cover a team that's losing and trying to extract a story out of a bad team. Right. So now you have all kinds of good storylines. And, and look, you, you guys are here on a regular basis. You're, you're seeing it. The Wizards are delivering those storylines in a much better way than they have in the past. Again, you've seen it daily. I think there are lots of reasons for it.
0: So, I, you know, we, I mean, Todd and I and others talk about this team from the ground level all the time. I mean, you hear plenty, so I know you know this team, but you're viewing it from a national perspective as you're doing all the teams in the league. So just to go back, I don't think any of us, even the most optimistic, we're thinking 27-20 and 20 period, let alone when they start 2-8. and eight. What were your sort of expectations for this team when the season started? And when they do have that bad start, what are you thinking at that point, both in terms of this season and sort of the organization as a whole?
2: I, I sort of was looking at a 500 season at the start of the year. I thought that based on what they've done, you know, by and large, the last few seasons, given who they have coming back, that, you know, 41-41 keeps you in a, a general playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. And then you talk about the start and – you start to think, well, maybe this isn't going to go the way they want or as fast as they want it to. But then, again, you take a step back and you look at, okay, it's a first-year coach with this team. John Wall was not playing back-to-backs early on in the season. And you start to maybe have a different perspective that Bradley Beal um, wasn't play- missed a couple games early on and that the time maybe they thought it would take during preseason, early in the season, we're starting to see it now. And in certain regards, and again, this is another aspect of it, when you guys looked at that bench early on, how could this team sort of subsist?
0: I still think
2: so. And that's a fair (laughs) point to make uh, because we saw it in that New Orleans game. You know, know, all all five starters in double figures, but not a lot of at least point production from the bench. And maybe some teams can get by with, you know, just – you know, bridging gaps between, you know, when the st- majority of starters are in and when the reserves are in.
0: Um, we were just talking to John Wall a few moments ago, and he's talk you know, all, answering all the different questions, various aspects of how come you guys are good now. In in, <laughs> yeah. in, in, in what well, happened? This yeah. is confusing. Explain. <laughs> exactly, in varying ways. Well, one thing that I've noticed, and I'm curious what you guys think, I talked about this in my previous podcast I did um, after they, I don't know, these games are running together. After Friday's game, uh, talked about how John Wall, like these quick starts they're getting off to. They had another one against New Orleans. I'm viewing this on a lot of levels as John Wall's maturing. He, he, too many times he would come into a game, especially when the opposing opposing point guard was some sort of Nick Calathesy kind of player, and he may not have given max effort right off the bat, and the team seemed to go with him. That's is at least my sense. But they are coming out hot. He just now said to us when I said to him, what's the difference in these starts that for him, it's an aggressive, he's being far more aggressive as two guys that have covered him on the court, off the court. Do you see a maturity, a maturity level in him as a person almost that's maybe translating to what we're seeing on the court for him and the team?
1: You would hope because this is what year seven and he's, and he's 26 now as we labeled 26 as advanced status, advanced age status, at least it is in this league. Um, but yeah, I would totally agree. One of one of the things I like about Wall that I think people who don't come here all the time don't really understand is he brought up after the game that he was passive at the start and they had a lousy start. He brought it up post game that I wasn't I was too passive at the start and I need to do better, and then I basically got my act together in the second quarter and oh hey, then we closed down the lead and we ended up winning the game. And now they start better because he's not doing that anymore. So certainly Not repeating the same dumb stuff is a sign of maturity because, you know, when we were 14, 15 years old, you would run your head into the same spot three or four times before you figured it out. And now when you're supposedly a grown-up, you don't do that anymore. Um, I also think we see a a distinct difference in his body language just from his basic defensive stance. He's not upright. He's actually, like, dipped and dropped his hips. Um, And as you said, when he's not playing against... An upper-tier point guard, which is rare these days in this league, uh, he's still almost equally engaged, so that's another step for him as well.
2: I, I think it's a combo of those things. Leadership. Um, and he just talked about you know t- taking some responsibility, and Todd mentioned his age, you know, being an all-star again and, and a deserving one. And then Scott Brooks. I think that in, in some ways he mentioned today that Scott Brooks handed the keys to him. Mm-hmm. I, I think the keys have sort of always – you know, been in his hands the last couple of years. But yeah. I think let's give Scott Brooks some credit here for, one, not panicking early on, sort of seeing the big picture, um, getting through to these guys and, and making sure that they didn't fall apart when they easily could have, that, you know, that this could be a, a team that, that's struggling, you know, maybe not as bad as the, the Brooklyn Nets, but a team that struggles, and, and Scott Brooks kept them together. Um, and, and another factor here that, you know, I thought maybe, and some other people have tried to talk me off of this. I thought it was too much, Brad and John. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, maybe not those first ten games because they weren't there, but they were trying to find, you know, who's going to do what. And there was that little controversy at the beginning of the year and uh, whether or not they were best pals and how they could coexist. And I thought there was too much of them. Once you started getting Marquise Morris involved, you start running more pick and rolls with Gortat, and then obviously Otto's development. Now when the ball's moving, everybody's still getting theirs, if you will. The numbers look great for everyone. Brad's on the verge of being an all-star. Um, Otto's going to get paid. And, and so I, I think that you know that you start to add up those factors, and you can see why this team is where they are right now.
0: The uh, the stats back you up because I've, I've yes. been tracking a few different stats. <laughs> it's like
1: you're, you're a first-time caller, a long-time listener, <laughs> making that statement around Yeah, because
0: one of the stats I've been tracking for the last few weeks, like right at the point when they started winning more was – they play. They win more when John and Brad shoot less, and I think it's. I don't remember exactly. I, I updated last night, but it's like they're like fifteen and four when John and Brad take less than forty-one percent of the total field goal attempts.
2: Well, I, I really love when it, now, what John did against the Pelicans was at eighteen points, nineteen assists. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do that. But my favorite John Wall is when he's at eighteen points, twelve assists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that that that's the best John Wall that that there is, and I think we see that more often than. Again, I know he had the big fifty-point game, but we we see the game they lost. Yeah, it, 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 that, that's a great point right there. And it's funny you mention that because it's a perfect example of where the eye test meets the stat test. I had not been looking at the numbers like in depth like you have, but in my eye test said that Marquise was not getting the ball enough. They weren't running enough plays for him. Otto, you know, sort of had to grab his offensive rebounding, you know, get, catch where catch can kind of deal. And I don't think that's the case anymore.
0: No, absolutely not. And, it's, and, and it sort of translates across their defensive numbers bit better in those games as well and things, and things like that. Um, we're, we're talking here with a Jeff Zilgit from USA Today. So since you cover the league, it's, it's wise to take advantage of you from that perspective. The Wizards in this run have, like, when this run started, we're like, hey, are they going to make the eighth seed at some point? Now, on, they're on the verge of being the two seed in the East. If the trajectories of where they're at keep going and Toronto keeps falling, I think Boston's actually 1 Boston 3 set straight. But but either way, they're now at the moment top, you know, in, in the contention for home court and maybe beyond. Uh, lots of things will change. The East is, is is wide open. But what's your sense right now of where the Wizards kind of fit in? With let's just say Cleveland is one spot, and then you got a bunch of other teams.
2: Yeah, I, I think Toronto will end up getting that second spot. I think I think they're well coached. They they probably have the the second most talent, um, and the the sort of chemistry they have over the past couple of years, getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. But that third spot, you know, and I love I love Brad Stevens as a coach as well. Uh, I'm just not always sure about the talent. We'll see what Boston does at the trade deadline. They're always in the conversation, but they haven't really pulled the trigger yet. I think Washington is turning into a better team than the Hawks. Um, and so, at the very least, I look at them as a top-four seed in the Eastern Conference. Maybe a little bit far-fetched to get the second seed. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I also think that the third seed is possible as well.
0: The uh, You mentioned the trade Possibility for for Boston, and I think to me that's kind of where we've talked about this before. Uh, again, the Wizards at this point, it's they've exceeded reasonable expectations for just about anybody whose last name maybe isn't like Leontis or Grunfeld. Um, but in terms of one of the things we've been saying is, okay, how do they improve this team? Even if they like, let's say they need to make a move, they don't have many pieces to work with. You maybe can you know, hypothetically trade a Kelly Oubre, a second year player. They have last, they have next year's first round pick, but they traded last year's first round pick for Morris. Um, you know, it's supposed to be a great draft, you know, do you want to move, you know, and they're already going to be stuck next year when it comes to, um, the salary cap that they don't have a lot of, uh, they are not have much money to work with. They have to keep auto. So you're going to give up that asset. But now that they're here, now that we are looking at a team going pretty close to the all-star break, potentially a top four seed. Do you therefore have, is it changed the opinion of, Hey, maybe they actually just have to do make a move to, to, to get there to maybe catch Toronto or maybe, maybe somehow give Cleveland a shot.
2: I'd be hesitant to make too big of a deal, um, and that includes trading Kelly Oubre. Um, let's just use Otto a- a- as the example, and there were talks of maybe trading Otto or maybe you know he's not turning into the number three pick like the Wizards had hoped, and now look at him. He- he's a-, a valuable contributor, and I think they want to be careful in that. Um, I think it's going to be a patchwork effort, whether it's a small tr- – you know, they need something to bolster the bench. Um, you guys will be able to address this one. I don't know if they're pinning their hopes too much on the return of Jan Mahinmi um, and how much they think that's going to help them. I know we watched the end of practice. He's out there working. Um maybe they look at that as their sort of trade deadline acquisition, similar to the way the Milwaukee Bucks are looking at the return of Chris Milton, Uh, obviously different situations, different players, and what they're going to contribute. But are you getting something, um, you know, around, uh, you know, mid-February, late-February, that can help you for the playoff push. I'd be hesitant to make too drastic of a move.
0: By the way, can I just say I'm jealous you're wearing a winter coat. It is freezing in this room always. I'm <laughs> like, I'm, the longer we're standing here, I'm like, this is not good. And I'm looking at your jacket going. I wish I, I wish I had that thing going on. Uh, I think it's Todd, quickly, just to you. I mean, I know we'll talk about this more later, but does has your mind changed at all in the, the now that they're here? As You know, because we both were kind of like, well, I don't know if you're going to make a big move like Jeff saying, but. Not yeah, no,
1: I, I would I would agree with Jeff. Um, s- still at this point, because I I, I feel like I'm always poo pooing what's happening. And like the other day, I was writing about you know this is great that they're on this run, but it still doesn't change their assets when it comes to a trade or in in, in trying to fix the bench or whatever. So and and you still have Cleveland's just sitting up there. W- what can you possibly come up with to? take this group and push them past that group without making a major, major wholesale move that's a really short window, probably a short window move, um, and, and would you even then be able to pull that sort of thing off. So I feel like they're kind of in the same spot of what are you doing? You're not Cleveland, so what else are you doing? And to be in that spot You know, they're there with this group, so certainly a a moderate bolstered for the bench of of some kind makes sense, Um, but it would have to be a low-cost thing for me at this point, not a a future-sacrificing thing.
2: I like Todd's point in that catching Cleveland seems unreasonable or unrealistic at this time. And and so there's where I always like the separation of church and state, if you will, between general manager and coach, because... Scott Brooks' job is to do what's best for this team right now. Ernie has to do what's best for right now but in the future. And if you're looking at the construction of this team in maybe two, three years down the road, they might be far more suited – to compete for that top spot in the East rather than making, you know, some drastic move right now. And that's what, you know, your general manager needs to pay attention or your ba- president of basketball ops needs to pay attention the- to.
1: Theoretically, they should all be better in their cap, meaning the Wizards key pieces in their cap space should be a little better, just even though they have some of these guys on very long, baffling contracts. Um, and the last part of that theoretical thought is that, LeBron somehow, at some point, is going to age, at least a freaking day. Um, yep. As Charles Barkley has mentioned, this guy is so anti-age that he brought his hairline back. A hairline <laughs> that had receded has now returned. So whatever he's drinking, he needs to pass it around. It's
2: the Brad Doherty preceding hairline. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, that's the level of magic that he's working with, with his yeah. physical abilities. Um, you yeah. have to think that's going to crack. At some point, and, th- and then you can start to look around and, and quickly. I'd add, because you mentioned Ernie and looking long view, this run with Ernie in the last year of his deal has probably put to bed the make- needing to make a change there. If they didn't get out of two and eight and they were a hot mess by the end of the year, and John and Brad were pissed at each other or whatever, you know, you want to throw out there as a what if, then you'd be looking at a change, but not now.
2: And you look at—I don't think Ernie's going to get a ton of consideration for executive of the year, but he is going to get credit for the Scott Brooks hire. Yep. Just like Daryl Morey got credit for the Mike D'Antoni hire, and so that's going to go a little bit of ways in, in terms of that um, contract situation right there for Ernie and for you, you know, we've watched Ted Leonsis over the years. There doesn't seem to be any indication that you know there's a huge desire. For him to make a change in that area, or else we probably would have seen one by now.
1: Yeah, he told us when they introduced Scott Brooks here that Ernie was following the plan, and that's why he didn't give consideration to making a change at that position
0: during the off season. Those are the words he used. And you know, again, like to in fairness to Ernie, I I don't want to say I stuck up for him, but in, when people constantly you know yell fire, Ernie, I'm always like, look at the starting five outside of Cleveland. Point to a starting five in the East that they are worse than. Like, I mean, I don't... I, to me, they could compete with... Their, their backcourt is as good as Toronto's. Yeah. The, you know, uh, you, you never know how people, the players develop, but their, their starting five was legit. The question was, what were they going to get off the bench? And I think, you know, you can still argue with the yeah, opportunities they had, they maybe didn't... <laughs> not maybe. They didn't do as good of a job as they could have. But all that said, in terms of that bigger picture stuff, if the starting five is doing what they're doing now, they're all back next year under contract. Kelly Oubre is a year older. You bring in rookie scale you bring in the uh, they have a first round pick in what is considered to be a loaded class you will in theory have jan mahimi from the start they have three rookies at the end of the bench if one of the three takes some sort of a leap to become a rotation player i mean now we're talking about nine guys or so and and we haven't mentioned sataransky who i still think is pretty good but you know he's adjusting to the nba and all that all of a sudden again not saying they're golden state or cleveland but now all of a sudden if you're looking to next year you know, if, if again, if they, if they lose ten in a row, we're going to blow up this podcast and all the subsequent ones that's t- that tout that, how good they are. But yeah, I'm just saying, right now, when you see what they're doing, and then think of ahead.
1: If you look at what the window that remains on John's contract, that's that's what you're looking at. And and yes, there should be that that step by step Um after they turn it around. Here, it makes sense that there will be that step by step. And real quick about Brooks, because. Jeff brought that up. Can, can we move past the Jeff, Scott Brooks hires just a pawn and lure Kevin Durant theories at this point and instead just say Scott Brooks is a good coach of young talent in the NBA and gets them to play well? Um, I would like to put that forth from here on as, as the
0: flat statement. The, about the, his, motion, his... <laughs> the motion has passed. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I think, and to your point about Scott, is in the, the player, we just listened to John Wall talk about practice habits, mm-hmm. um, the, the way. That probably Scott doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day nonsense of what seems to go around NBA teams some days. You know, I know Scott gives some canned answers a lot. That probably works for him. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he doesn't engage in the banter the way maybe some other coaches does, but he doesn't feed. That means he doesn't feed into it and he keeps things, you know, fairly even keel. The players seem to enjoy playing for him. They mentioned a player's coach from time to time. Um, and, and so, again, a lot of credit goes to Scott for managing this team and, and the roster and keeping it together. And, and to that end, again, I know Ernie's had some hits and misses when it comes to the roster construction. But for this team, and we saw Scott do it, and Todd mentioned it, with that Oklahoma City team. There may become a time in Scott's tenure here where, you know, the team outgrows him as a coach what we'll see what happens but when he had James Harden, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook that team made the finals in 2011 mm-hmm. you know and so he, he knew what to do with a team like that uh, you know maybe they could add a, a you know another player and that would be beneficial uh, to this but I think going to what Ben was saying can this team maybe even compete for the second seed this year I don't know if they can but looking down the road, that certainly seems feasible, especially when you look at Toronto. You know, there's no guarantee that Kyle Lowry sticks around with that team. That's going to, if he leaves, that's going to dramatically change sure. that, that roster construction. We still need to see what Boston does. I, I don't know about Atlanta's long-term, you know, what they do with Paul Millsap uh, in the offseason or even at the trade deadline. So there seems to be lots of room for this Wizards team in the East.
0: Yeah. Um. Couple of things that's want I hit on one. And you may i don't know if you'd heard this because you obviously are covering the whole league. But when Brooks was hired, at least I did. Maybe others did. Ask what's maybe the one thing you learned most about when you're your year away. And he said it was in, in terms of the playing, is like realizing that practice time contributes to the amount of time they're actually playing. So if you're playing a lot of minutes on the court, you got to pull back on practice. And we know that was something that Randy Whitman was not doing here. We all just saw John Wall say in no uncertain terms he's very very happy with the plan now. So I think that – so at least to that, and I think Brooks, he he said he's learned something he learned um, from from his time off.
2: Well, that might be one of the biggest developments in terms of analytics and and monitoring players is how much they're doing in practice these days. Uh, You know, I was at uh, a team's practice facility, and they were wearing the body tracking devices in the back of their jerseys. And you might automatically think, well, it's monitoring how much – they're doing, are they working hard enough? Well, sometimes it's the opposite. You know, you don't want these guys doing too much. Uh, and, and I know we're getting maybe far afield here, but it's, these days it's really about injury prevention and maximizing what the player does on the court. We, we all know practice is important. Let's not, you know, go astray right there. But, you know, running these guys into the ground, I think they've all learned, you know, that's not the way to go in today's NBA.
0: Uh, I know i got to get you guys out of here, but so just two quick things. Since we're on the Scott Brooks topic, and you mentioned, Todd, the the, the idea of, you know, can we put to bed that he was some guy that just brought in for Durant. But I still think a question that a lot of people had with the Brooks hire was, even beyond the Wizards and Durant, was, what kind of coach is he? Because he had the Durant, he had Westbrook. Do we, what, you know, some people didn't give him enough credit for that. And the, the first question I asked Scott Brooks when he was here was, do we actually know what a Scott Brooks team looks like? Because... He had to cater to those guys. He'd be stupid not to. And then, frankly, we saw Billy Donovan the next year come in and basically the same problems, which ultimately, I think, on some level led to Durant saying, I'm out of here because Russ is Russ. He's going to do what he's going to do. I'm not putting words in your guys' mouths, but that's my take. So now that Brooks is here, he doesn't have, he has a different type of point guard and wall. He doesn't, who's a pass first guy for the most part. He's not what Westbrook is. Do you think we're seeing a Scott, what a Scott Brooks team actually looks like as opposed to one who, smartly catered to Durant and Westbrook.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think... And I guess to that end,
0: what is it? Like, What if you had to sort of tweet, tweet, tweet answer, like, what's a Scott Brooks team?
1: Let me put it this way. In, in researching a story about him when he was first hired, his, one of his former coaches told me that a college coach wished he had tape practice when Brooks was practicing so he could always... For every year from then on, for the rest of his life, show it to whatever team he had and said, this is what this guy did in practice, and this is how practice is supposed to look when you come to practice. This is what you do. You work your butt off until we say stop, and then you move on. So I think it's just that kind of ingrained mentality of the, the hard work, but also the cooperative hard work, that's what a Scott Brooks team, I think, at his peak would look like. And Jeff was mentioning earlier, Marquise and Otto involved, and Gortat. We've seen this, hey, Marsh, here's some candy. We're going to post you up three times in a row to start every game and then go set 56 screens, please, the rest of the night. You know, it's things like that. It's, it's that team cooperative. And again, as Jeff said, we do hear some canned answers in, in that tenor, but he really believes that stuff, and and, and that's, that's what we're seeing now is just – when everybody benefits, everybody benefits. That concept, and that's what we've seen on the floor
2: lately. I think there's a lot of blue-collar approach to the is what Todd is talking about. That's what defined, you know. If you look at Scott Brooks's career, he probably shouldn't have carved out a career. No, you no, know, in the NBA, you, you <laughs> know. I mean, obviously, he was good enough to play in the NBA, but a marginal talent. And Scott, don't get mad um, <laughs> at, at that. But you know that, that that's what what it amounted to. But he busted his butt and understood that. And I think he wants his star, whether it's John or Brad, to have a similar commitment to that. And, and I also think you, you know, Scott gets, I think, criticized sometimes for not being some offensive genius. Um, I think we know in the NBA that everyone's not going to call a play like Pop or Rick Carlisle, um, Eric Spolstra, because so much, you know, I was just talking to someone, so much of the NBA is it's 80% pick and roll or 75 or at least it starts that way, and then it's ball movement. Yes. So, you know, that's what Scott Brooks believes in. Lots of coaches believe in it, but you also need the personnel to do it, and when you match up a coach like that who believes in those things with the personnel, I think you get a guy who wants – you know, again, every coach wants to play defense and move the ball. I think you give credit to the coach who gets his guys to do that.
1: And, and do you do you want to play – you have John Wall. Do you want to play a flow game or do you want to play a X's and O's game? I, I think you want to play a flow game. Obviously, you have to play the X's and O's game at some point, particularly in the playoffs when things are much more difficult.
2: The, a quick point, too, and I see this with the Milwaukee Bucks sometimes with Jason Kidd um, – I see it with a couple other teams, too. There's nothing wrong with your head coach not being the offensive or defensive genius. I see the Milwaukee Bucks, the assistant coach, gets in there with the clipboard and is drawing up a play. You see it with other teams, too. And and so there there's some, you know, give someone some credit for knowing how to delegate. Just a little bit, understanding that there's another guy in your staff who can draw up a play a little better than you, and, and I think that's all part of coaching too.
1: And we've seen them actually be very good out of timeouts. They, they've gotten great shots, you know. And we think of the one that Marquis Morris missed at the buzzer early in the season, but he was amazingly wide open yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for that shot, you know. And, and you know that that goes back to Scott or whoever that play in his lap
0: I've made the point here of late that fans here for for several years complained openly that the Wizards didn't take enough three-pointers this year they're actually 25th in threes attempts, and nobody says a boo because their offense looks so good. I mean, partly because Otto's making the threes and you're in you're
2: counts. you're efficient with them, at but yeah, so they're far.
0: they're doing so so much. Otherwise, nobody's like, oh, you got to shoot more threes. No, you don't know, Actually, have to as long as the ball's moving. Uh, last thing, but the NBA trading deadline's coming up relatively soon. We just discussed whether the Wizards may or may not do anything. So many teams in both conferences seem to be still in the mix. What, what's your just basic sense of? Do you see a lot of? Moves happening, or, or do you see more of a quiet uh, deadline this time?
2: Well, my impression from talking to people is that they expect a, a lot of activity, but I also think NBA executives just recently, within the last couple of weeks, got the full collective bargaining agreement that was just reached, and I think they're really pouring over that to see what the impact is. Is it better to get a guy right now? Should we wait till free agency? Um, you know, how much do we need to pay attention to our own guys when it comes to that? Um, and then beyond that. I think it's really going to come down to does Carmelo waive his trade clause, and does does the Cleveland do the Cleveland Cavaliers get the playmaker that LeBron wants? I don't know who that guy Thank is. Thank you for
0: saying that LeBron wants, not that they need. Yeah, it, 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 it,
2: and he does, and you know that that's really a conundrum. I, I know this isn't the Cavs podcast, oh, but go for it. LeBron wants a guy who can help manage the regular season because that guy that they want right now. Come playoff time, he's not going to get tons of minutes. You, you know, the, the rotation shrink. You're going to be eight, some, you know, occasionally a ninth guy. Um, so that guy that LeBron wants right now is not necessarily the same guy the front office wants for the playoffs. And, and that's why there's a little discrepancy in, in, in their direction.
0: Yeah, I, I won't make you say anything, but that that whole thing is ridiculous. We need another playmaker. Stop yourself. You got two guys starting the All Star game and Kevin Love. Go away. Uh, anyway, Jeff, as always, appreciate it. Uh, you guys know, of course, Jeff is USA Today. Uh, at the top of this, I will have put everybody's Twitter in there. So anything that you got coming up that other people need to keep an eye out for this week? Any, any stories you got popping?
2: No, I'm just looking forward to some all-star coverage, uh, watching the Wizards play a couple times this week, and uh, I'll go from there. Cool.
0: All right, well, Jeff, appreciate it. Todd, thank you as always. Thank you guys for listening, and until next time on Locked on Wizards, see you.
2: Perfect. Dio, gets open for 3. Dagger! Long drive off that shot.
0: Dagger! Rush into Old Navy today for this can't miss one day deal. 50% off all Old Navy active for the family. Get the workout wear you need at a huge 50% off one day only
2: today. Hurry in or miss out at Old Navy and Old Navy.com. Valid 1020, select styles only, excludes in-store clearance.